The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. As we begin a new year, we thought we'd take this opportunity to look back at AMA's work over the past year in several key areas and also find out what's in store for 2022. Joining us today uh, for our Look Forward, Look Back series are Dr. Kimberly Lomas, AMA's Vice President of Undergraduate Medical Innovations in Chicago, and Dr. John Andrews, AMA's Vice President of Graduate Medical Education Innovations in Chicago also. And we'll be discussing the AMA's critical work in medical education. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Lomas, Dr. Andrews, it's great to have you back. Boys, it's been a year of disruptions for medical education. Um, you know, let's think about 2021 versus 2020. Did we see the same challenges, different challenges, or did vaccines allow at least some normalcy of return? Dr. Lomas, let's start with you with medical student education. Sure, Todd. Well, I think everybody is experiencing some distortion of time and trying to remember where 2020 ended and 2021 began. But I think one of the big things that we saw in 2021 was the graduation of students who had been significantly disrupted in their clinical preparations. And obviously schools have been working hard to maintain their training and fill those gaps. And so one of the things that we invested in early this year was a pilot program to help each individual graduate think about what they missed out on and as a course of their training and how they might build that into their goals as they started their internship. So we created a great tool that allowed them to start uh, in advance discussing this with their program directors. And we're very hopeful that this will carry forth in the future to kind of normalize this transition. Everybody has individualized needs. and should promote equity that each person as they make that transition can really call out the things they need most. We were hoping to do another medical student graduation tribute. The cast of Scrubs was not available this year, so we're glad that folks did get to graduate. Um, when you think about the academic year, uh, you know, so far, or as we close 2021, you know, how would you compare it to the initial year of the pandemic? Well, certainly there's still been disruption, and I think any of the students involved would, would say that as well as the educators, but at least we were better prepared both the health systems in terms of the availability of protective equipment, as well as the education programs are really thinking about what role students can play safely. A lot of those protocols around COVID care were a little bit more secure. And so for the most part, schools were able to kind of get the students back on track and, and keep things moving forward. And actually our consortium took some time to think about the silver linings. Uh, what did we learn in these disruptions that we would actually wanna see carry forward in the future? And there are some great examples of things we did learn that we could do through simulation or remote and virtual environments. Uh, one thing that we hope as the AMA will stick around is the increased interest in using telehealth. And we've created a, a playbook for educators about how do you bring those learners into that environment. So there is some potential, some good solutions that we care about uh, carrying forward. Yeah, assuming we, we do move past this pandemic in 2022, I think that's a big question for everyone is what we preserve in terms of those learnings and carry forward versus kind of leaving behind. Dr. Andrews, uh, let's turn our attention to residents and program administrators. Um, again, what, uh, how did this year, uh, 2021, compare to that first year of the pandemic? What did we learn? Well, I, the, 
the stress of the clinical response to COVID-19 is ongoing, but unlike 2020, I think that as Dr. Lomas alluded to, health systems, hospitals have evolved systems for dealing with uh, COVID patients that weren't in place when everything exploded in 2020. And when that did happen in 2020, there was tremendous concern about how the demands of caring for patients with COVID was going to disrupt the path toward uh, education in your particular specialty, your path toward board certification, um, as you turned your attention to meeting the demands of caring for patients with COVID rather than the things you thought you would be doing. I think many residents were worried about that in 2020. I think that's less of a concern now. Um, there's still a tremendous uh, burden being placed on our residents to provide frontline care to patients with COVID, but the systems for doing that are less disruptive to their progress towards certification and especially in which they're training. So um, that's a little note, uh, that's a little bit of a positive note to sound. There have also been um, changes nationally, um, grace periods and alter alternate methods for achieving board certification that have remove some of the stress people have felt that if I'm doing all of this work to care for patients with COVID, I might not be eligible for certification in my specialty. So I think, I think things have calmed down a bit in terms of those um, specific concerns about specialty training while the demands of caring for patients with COVID are ongoing. Um, Dr. Andrews, I know one of the things that you've uh, looked deeply at uh, is the, the, the residency application process. Mm -hmm. Uh, big changes there, of course, by necessity, year one and continuation of a lot of virtual support. Uh, how have you, uh, you know, what have you learned over the past year? What do you think some of the major conclusions are going to be? Uh, well, so um, the residency selection process is going to uh, something that was interesting before the pandemic and is even more interesting now. Um, with the advent of the pandemic, uh, one thing that I think everyone's aware of is that the process of applying to residencies changed dramatically and that interviews became virtual. People weren't visiting the institutions where they thought they might train. They were uh, conducting interviews virtually. Um, that created broad access to opportunities to interview, but less deep knowledge of the programs and the applicants for making that critical match um, to residency training later in the year. And I think the, the long-term effects of that remain to be seen. Like did people match to programs that... Um, uh, they might not have in a situation where they actually had a chance to go and visit. So, so we'll see um, what happens going forward. I think uh, there was a lot of uh, positive things that came out of virtual interviews. It was uh, less of an administrative burden for programs. It was less expensive and involved less travel for applicants. And so as much as people want to get back to in-person interviews for all of the reasons I just stated, I think that uh, options to interview virtually will um, continue to be available and will continue to enhance people's access to programs that they might not have otherwise been able to take a look at. So there've been some, some pluses and some minuses to that. The last thing I'll say about the residency selection process and Dr. Lomas may wish to comment further is, I think there's a graduating class of medical students that has some concerns about the impact of COVID on their preparation for residency and whether there are gaps in that preparation that might need to be addressed in residency going forward. And again, we're still learning about that um, and doing a lot of work at the AMA to un better understand those gaps and how to best address them. Dr. Lewis, what do you think about that? Well, and that was part of the pilot that I was mentioning earlier that we, that we enacted because there are certainly gaps. And, uh, and I think reframing it in terms of gaps in the student's experience is less threatening to them as an individual than saying that you person have a deficit. Uh, and so I, we wanted to seize on that moment in time to say, 
it's okay. Let's talk about it. We know this happened and the only way we can get through this and make sure your education is up to stuff and that the patients are served well is to find those gaps and let's get on it and we can fix it. It's not a problem. That's what education is for. <laughs> so uh, I think we have great opportunity here to, as I said earlier, normalize that. So that's not a judgment that you're not ready, but it's more, hey, it's our job to get you ready. That's why we're here. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. funny because uh, there's disruptions across you know basically the spectrum of all work mm-hmm. and we have kind of a cohort of folks that are going to move through where those gaps are real and will need to you know need to be addressed over the course of time but uh, despite the impact of the pandemic that has not dampened uh, folks enthusiasm for applying to medical school Dr. Lomas you know what do you think about uh, how this pandemic is going to influence the future healthcare workforce? Well, as you know, Todd, we've seen increasing numbers of applicants to medical school and the the new data about matriculation this year is available now and actually quite promising that not only applications went up, but we have actual matriculants in areas of students who are from backgrounds that have been historically marginalized or underrepresented. And so there's some good headway there. One notable exception is unfortunately Native American. We didn't make progress there, Uh, but it is great to see increasing diversity in the incoming classes and you know thinking through how difficult this time has been for healthcare providers to see that young people are inspired to enter the field at the at this time is is particularly gratifying it is going to be important to us to maintain our focus on building out holistic and equitable ways of selecting people because as more applicants come forth it will mean unfortunately that some really great potential candidates get turned away. And we knew we want to do that based on the things that actually relate to success within the profession and not uh, some of the historical metrics that have been weighed on too heavily. So is it going to be a challenge to us to make sure that we keep pushing forward with that holistic view? Well, we uh, have been dealing with this pandemic now for the better part of two years. And our AMA president, Dr. Gerald Harmon, recently authored a viewpoint about his concern for new physicians entering medicine uh, during the pandemic. You know, are you seeing uh, the kind of fatigue and burnout with residents, particularly those on the front lines? And how, how is AMA uh, you know, addressing this issue? Dr. Andrews? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big concern. I mean, physician well-being and burnout in the physician workforce was a concern, as I said, before the pandemic. But the pandemic has certainly um, highlighted that and exacerbated it. Um, the, for residents, the demands of responding to the COVID pandemic have been significant and working in systems where there's uncertainty about how to treat those patients, uncertainty about the volume of patients that they're gonna to need to treat, watching patients die on a regular basis has been a, has been a huge burden um, and certainly compromises well-being. I will say that I think that there 
are some um, moderating factors. I do think that residents take some pride in the fact that they're on the front lines for responding to this pandemic that's a source of national concern and, and, and uh, are pleased that they're in the medical profession for that reason. So there, there are some balancing factors, but by and large, I think there's a, there's a lot of well-founded concern about burnout. You know, there's, uh, the AMA is working with residency programs and with health systems to provide access to screening tools for burnout so that programs and health systems understand how big a problem it is. Um, through the Steps Forward program, there are frameworks and um, other approaches that, again, programs and health systems can take to create environments that are less likely to, to exacerbate burnout and address some of the uh, compromised well-being that people are experiencing. But I think it's going to be an ongoing challenge, and we don't have all the answers yet. Our continued attention to it, sensitivity to it, and um, our interest in looking uh, for the instances where it's really compromising people's ability to be effective at work and to feel comfortable going home at night um, is going to be a focus of our interest for, uh, going forward for a long time, I think. Dr. Loomis, what about medical students in the same realm? Well, I think like all members of the health professions, um, medical students certainly felt the strain of this, the, the mixture of both the challenge of the what clinical work they were able to do, plus the disruption to their forward path. And as you know, medical students are very focused on the future and moving forward. And so that was particularly anxiety provoking for them. And I think all of the schools worked very hard to support their students during this time. And, you know, it's even more concerning the recent declaration from the Surgeon General about the mental health crisis among our nation's youth. That is our future um, medical student body. And so we need to continue to think across even earlier in the educational continuum about, about this notion of well-being. We actually spent some time this year in our consortium focused on the well-being of the medical educators because many of them are also clinicians. So they were feeling the strain of adapting their clinical duties and responding to the needs of COVID patients or other needs in the health system while simultaneously having to redesign educational programs and support their students who they care about and they saw that the angst that they were going through. And so we actually worked a lot with our faculty across the country to understand some of the drivers of, of their strain and how we might better support them so that they're still there to teach uh, the students in the future. And so devoting some time to putting together some resources for organizations to really think about how do we build in better surge capacity for the education field? It's usually run kind of on, on a string. And so we're putting that forth in the new year, some guidelines about how an organization can support the well-being of the educational faculty. If I could just jump in, you know, the, yeah. the, the important, one of the important points behind what Dr. Lomas just highlighted is the fact that those educators are role models for, this, for the students and the residents whom they're training. And if the students and residents see that those role models aren't finding joy in their profession, that further compromises the whole system because those trainees are saying, well, what am I getting myself into if 20 years from now, I'm gonna be feeling the way I see this person feeling now. So it's really critical that we address these concerns about burnout and well-being across the spectrum of physician professional development. Well, then that's obviously gonna be a big uh, piece of the future for 2022. As you, as you look ahead to the coming year, what do you think uh, the other kind of biggest opportunities are for the AMA uh, to support medical students, residency, and the, the folks that you, you just mentioned who are 
uh, you know, basically guiding that learning, teaching them to become leaders in healthcare. Uh, Dr. Lemus, why don't you start? Sure. Well, I think what we saw during the pandemic was that some of the things that we as AMA have been previously invested in actually turned out to be critically important in, in a time of disruption like this. So unfortunately, the pandemic was a crash course for everyone in health system science. And we had already devoted heavily into training students and residents and faculty for that matter in better understanding the systems in which they work and how they contribute to the improvement of those. And so we fortunately had resources at hand that many, many schools availed themselves of to help ramp up that training really quickly. So we hope to see the continued propagation of, of training across the continuum in those concepts. Certainly we've been invested in what we call competency-based uh, education, which really, instead of saying, how long were you in a course? It looks at what did you learn and did you attain the outcomes that you need? And so when you see a disruption in which time goes away, it was really valuable to have schools that had a better handle on where each individual student was because they were routinely assessing their progress and could find alternative pathways, again, to keep them moving forward and get to where they need to be. And that ended up connecting to some work that we've done in value-added roles with students, this notion that the student is not just receiving, uh, they give a lot. We have incredibly bright and talented medical students who can do a lot of different things. And so we were able to articulate that and hope to continue to build that understanding of, of the value that they bring to the healthcare system. And then other concepts, you know, we've been thinking a lot about how to be a master adaptive learner. Certainly everyone had to adapt in, in this situation. And I think moving forward, we know that there's going to be more and more ambiguity and we are going to need to adapt to new and evolving technologies such as artificial intelligence and the world of big data. And then of course, throughout all of this, we have all become much more attuned to concepts of equity. And so we'll continue to be able to bring that lens to all of the things that we do and, and really think with much more broad perspectives than we may have in the past. We've been asking a number of uh, different folks over the course of the last few months, what they think, the words they would use to describe this past year, I think adapt uh, would probably be in my top two. Uh, Dr. Andrews, uh, again, as you look forward to 2022, what is uh, uh, your main area of focus? How is the AMA going to help? Yeah, I, I think that Dr. Lomas's comments were pretty comprehensive. She highlighted most of the important issues. I would just emphasize a couple of things. This effort to um, uh, pursue competency-based medical education, I think is really important. You know, for the reasons that we stated earlier, we have students graduating from medical school who are concerned about gaps in their training. What are those gaps? And do we actually know what they're capable of? And where these residents are concerned who are seeking board certification, rather than just spending three years in internal medicine residency, do we know that they've achieved the standards necessary to practice independently? And that puts a lot of pressure on us as a medical education community to refine our assessments so that we can actually know what people are capable of rather than just how long they've spent doing it. And then the other thing I think it's really important to address is the issue of diversity in our, in, 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 the physician workforce and in our medical education systems. I mean, COVID once again has highlighted um, that there are huge inequities. And as we look at the um, disproportionate impact of COVID, particularly in communities uh, represented by persons of color, um, we look at our medical education system and see how poorly represented persons of color are within that system. And we're gonna have to do something about that to um, meet the needs of those communities with a physician workforce that better represents um, the patients with, for whom they're providing care. Well, uh, uh, Dr. Andrews and uh, Dr. Lummis, thank you so much uh, to you and your colleagues uh, for all the work you've done to support 
students and residents and to the consortium and to all our GSEP partners out there as well. Uh, this has been quite a year and I appreciate uh, your insights in, as you kind of look back and look forward uh, on medical education. Thanks for being here today. We'll be back soon with another Moving Medicine video and podcast. Be sure to click subscribe on the AMA's YouTube channel, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find all of our podcasts and videos at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Take care. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.